This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. What is it like for your team to set $344 million on fire? This is Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App. I'm Aaron Goldhammer. She is Michelle Smallman. We are presented by Progressive Insurance, and it's time for us to go out to the hotline where we welcome the normal host of this show to the fray. Uh, Chris Carlin joins us now. He is, I believe, on campus at ESPN today. Big news in Bristol. The cameras everywhere following Chris Carlin around. And Chris, you know the Mets. You know, you've been following this story. You've worked for SNY, their network, and where does this year rank in terms of Mets disappointment to you? Oh, it's up there. I mean, it's not like it was uh, in 1992 when they had the book written about them, the worst team money could buy, because not only did you have an incredibly underachieving team, but you had a very unlikable team with Vince Coleman threw a firecracker at some people, the Brett Saberhagen dumped bleached on reporters. Like, it was really bad. This this is just exceptionally disappointing when it comes to all the money that they spent and what the results were this season. And I've gotten a lot of pushback today because I've called this one of the worst days in the history of the Mets. And it is. I think people, though, have to look at the perspective as to why uh, that yesterday was. And, and that's because when you look at what the expectations were, you had a brand-new owner when the Mets had been buried under the cloud of the Wilpons ownership for 30 years, but really the, the last 10 to 12 were really rough. And uh, outside of making the world series in 2015, uh, it had been bad. This really symbolized a new era. And the first thing out of the gate is stumbling, falling the GM three days ago says this is not a fire sale. This is not a complete rebuild and then proceeds to trade away six players, um, including Verlander and Scherzer, which Scherzer was the right thing to do. And they, they did the right thing in what they got in return for those two, because it helped their middling farm system. But in the grand scheme, they also told you that they are not competing next year. Like, it's, it says something when in the middle of the year, they actually told Max Scherzer next season's going to be a transitional year, that now their fans openly know that. So that when you take all of that into context, you not only had your entire season this year put into flames, but they gave you no hope for next year. That's, that's really, that's a tough one. So, Chris, what are your expectations then for the Mets in 2024? Do you think they'll even be competitive? Well, they're not a 60-win team. I think they'll be competitive. They still have good players um, with Pete Alonso, and if Francisco Lindor can ever find himself, they still have good players. But what they told you was it's not going to be a playoff. And anytime that is pretty much uttered openly prior to the season – you're never going to feel good about things. My expectations would be that the Mets next year would find their way to being an 80-win, 85-win at best type team. Here's what I don't want to see, though. What just happened? You just went out and reloaded a little bit. If next year you were truly look at it as a transitional year, don't go do something and trade away 
some of what you just got for somebody that might help you in the short term if that's where, not where you were supposed to be to begin with. Chris, here's what I'm trying to figure out. I mean, who is eating the biggest slice of Mets blame pie right now? Uh, I think it probably has to be Billy Epler, the general manager. Um, listen, Steve Cohen gave him the resources. These are some things that they did. You can't blame him for signing Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, but you can blame him for some of the other moves that they have made. I, I think when you realize that Billy Epler in Anaheim doled out what doesn't get credited for being probably the worst contract in baseball, the one he gave to Anthony Rendon a few years ago, and what he, yeah. what they've gotten in return on that, uh, they're going to be looking for somebody new to run that organization. That's going to be David Stearns, I would expect, uh, who runs the Milwaukee Brewers. Steve Cohen has wanted to get him for a few years. I think, you know, ultimately, they always say ultimately it comes down to the players, right? Yes, but the guy who put the team together in this instance, I think that's where you have to lay the majority of the blame because he was given all the resources to do whatever he needed to do. Chris, let's pivot to the NFL. I wanted to ask you about what Mike Vrabel said recently about Derrick Henry. He was asked how many five-year-olds it would take to tackle Derrick Henry, and he said about 35 five-year-olds. That's how many it would take to tackle one of the best running backs in the NFL. Are you over or under on that amount? Well, I want to know what the strategy is. Like, are, are they playing a zone where they're all surrounding? Like, clearly there's not a strategy when we're talking about five-year-olds. What am I saying? But correct. ultimately, <laughs> you know, like. Have you ever met a five-year-old, Chris? I have one if you want me to introduce you. <laughs> I, I have. I have nieces and nephews, and I used to be their personal jungle gym, uh, <laughs> basically. But I would say I would take the under but not by much. Like, I, I, I need a couple of scout ones. It's almost like trying to build a team. So, like, I need an offensive line, right? Or I need a defensive line. I need a group. Give me a couple of kids that might be a little bit on the heavier side that try to grab on and hold on and just slow them down a little bit so that maybe all the rest of them can catch up. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know if, like, a crotch situation was legal because that might knock him out. That could take one five-year-old, you know, and I, if I yeah, have him hit him flag. in the right I place. I don't want to see any kid going dirty in that spot. I mean, I don't think that's – that's not – I mean, let's call it what it is, Aaron. That's not the spirit of what we're talking about here. <laughs> I think we've got to do this. I mean, the Titan season might get boring enough that we just have Derrick Henry play a bunch of five-year-olds. Uh, Chris Carlin <laughs> is with us. Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Um, are you Carl in or Carl out on Kyler Murray right now? I'm kind of Carl in on Kyler Murray. And it's it, it's not based on, you know, the, the I, I, we all know he's immature. But, you know, when we had the Canty take about the Cowboys, I get it. Completely. Here's the thing. So he's gotten the money. Uh, he has been immature before, but the talent is there, and that's why he got the money. And if you go and you look at what he has done in his career, he's got, uh, I believe the numbers are 84 touchdowns, 41 picks. 
You want yeah. them to be better in four years than that, but they're, that's not bad. In addition to what he's done running the football, he's going to give you uh, six to eight touchdowns rushing per season. So let me ask you this question. Is it wrong to suggest that Kyler Murray could go out there and throw 30 touchdowns in a season and 10 interceptions? I don't think that's an unreasonable number. His completion percentage has always been pretty good. I don't expect him to throw for 5,000 yards, but I think he could throw for 3,500. And if I'm given the choice between Murray and Dak Prescott uh, over the next several years, I'm taking Murray because I know what the talent is. I've got a longer runway. Dak's been in the league for seven years, two and four in the playoffs. That, to me, says all I need to know. But I can also throw in all of the turnovers from this past season. Everybody says he's going to turn the ball over less. Well, we'll see. I, I, I think after seven years, I have my answer. I don't know that I definitively do. And here's the other thing. Murray, after this year, is going to be available. Uh, he might come back toward the later part of the season, and he's going to be fully healthy for next year. That's somebody that I would roll the dice on because I think he's got a lot of ability, and especially if I can get him with the right people if he truly wants to be a winner or not. One thing scares me, Aaron. One thing. Bart Scott has always said this. Money only makes you more of what you already are. Yeah. And if he's immature and he's got the money, if it's going to make him more immature, well, that's, that's obviously problematic. I am, for some reason, trusting that he is going to mature a little bit as he gets past the age of 25. Chris, I want to stick with Dak for a second. So Jerry Jones has said the Dallas Cowboys are a championship caliber team. He also said the offense is very Dak friendly and that they anticipate he's going to have a good year. Do you think the Dallas Cowboys can win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott as their quarterback? I don't. I think they'll be very, very good this year. I don't think he's going to kill them. I don't know if he's going to win them a Super Bowl. Um. I think I, if he had a couple of more playoff wins to his credit, I would believe that he could. Um, but he doesn't. And I've seen him come up small in some situations. And what he did last year, I think you're seeing Jerry openly putting the pressure on Dak right now and saying, this is his team, this is it. If we go, he's the one who's taking us. If we don't, he's the problem. And you caught that a little bit this week with C.D. Lamb, too, by the way. For anybody that uh, just kind of overlooked his comments, he, he said the offense is in Dak's hands now, and he said it twice within 20 seconds. That sounded to me at the time like a guy that is looking to get paid his money, as we know C.D. Lamb is, and is looking at his quarterback after last season and making sure that everybody knows who's ultimately responsible here. Mm. I think the Cowboys are making sure that all of it is on Dak's back. Chris, do you think Bill Belichick is washed up as a coach? I don't think he's washed up, but I don't think he's going to be around all that much longer. And 
Is he the factor that he I, used to be? Is, is it what? I, I, I'm sorry. I said, is he the factor that he used to be? Well, no. And the reason is he doesn't have a very good team. He's got a good defense. But if we're being truthful, one thing that Bill Belichick has never been great at is picking the players through the draft. It's never been a strength. Um, when he's 25 and 25 since Tom Brady left, he still refuses to change his tactics depending on who the player is. And Mac Jones played for Nick Saban. Maybe he can take the hits of, you know, now everybody's out there competing. He's out there competing. Maybe he doesn't need to be patted on the back. I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world considering the younger generation at this point to say, you know what, he's our guy and he's doing a great job and he's going to be great for us this year. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I don't believe he's washed. I believe that Robert Kraft has seen nothing happen without Tom Brady. And while people will tell you that there's nothing there, I listen to what's being said I think Robert Kraft is being very deliberate about what is being said. And I think we all have to realize that Belichick is not nine wins away or 10 wins away. He's what, 30 some wins away from the record. Right. I I think we have to be careful there. How long are they going to hang on? Because Robert Kraft does not sound like a patient man. And I I think as much as he respects Belichick, it absolutely bugs him that he picked Bill over Tom. Tom went and did it somewhere else, and now he is he is the owner of a middling organization. Speaking of Tom, Chris, part of our NFL two-a-days here at ESPN Radio today, we examined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we started talking about the post-Tom Brady NFL. Do you think we as NFL consumers will miss Tom Brady in the league at all? Because Aaron and I were both of the perspective that the league is in such a healthy place, and with Patrick Mahomes and all of these young star quarterbacks, it feels like we're not even going to miss beat without Tom Brady. I think when we talk about missing a player, um, as fans, I don't know that we will because life goes on. And that's the cruel reality in the NFL, especially. Um, just look around. The league doesn't stop for any particular player. It, it just doesn't. So um, I, I think fans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when they're watching Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask, are really going to miss Tom Brady. <laughs> but but um, I – I don't. I, I'm kind of with hammer uh, with uh, the hammer on that because uh, I, I, there are so many great young players to watch now, and Patrick Mahomes has become Tom Brady. That the next guy always steps up, and the next group always steps up. Like there's not going to be a point during this season, Michelle, and maybe I'm wrong for individual people, where somebody looks at it on a Sunday afternoon in week eight and says. Man, I really miss Tom Brady in this league. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris Carlin, with us, host Canty and Carlin here on ESPN Radio. I'm Aaron Goldhammer, and Michelle Smallman. He's a guest on his show, and we're filling in for him. Michelle earlier today, Chris, was digging through her bag, her, you know, where she keeps a computer, you know, and a little of this, a little of that, a little work bag, and she found huh. that she had forgotten to put uh, that that she had forgotten that she put. I guess I should say. 
a bottle of Tabasco, like the big one, uh, <laughs> in her bag. So she just, in case a hot sauce emergency broke out on the New York City subway, she was ready to jump in with her hot sauce and deliver. Is there anything weird that you carry around with you on a regular day-to-day basis? Anything weird that I carry around with me? Um, I don't know. My face just hit the phone. Sorry. Um, uh, oh, I thought you were going to say I, your face was the weird thing. I was like, don't be so hard on yourself. I mean, you could argue that, yeah, my face is a weird thing that I carry around with me every day. Um I would say, all right, you might call this a little bit weird. Hmm. And this is just something that I got for Christmas, and it's in my bag. It's like a little beard comb, although my beard right now is too short to comb. It's a little beard comb that I keep. But I know I don't necessarily strike people as the most vain of people, but you'd be surprised. That would be it. Uh, Is it Frank's Red Hot Cholula? Which one are we going there? So I am normally a Frank's or a Cholula girl, but it is it is the classic Tabasco brand, full bottle. Okay, yes. full bottle. Any port in a storm, I understand. Yeah, you know. uh, but what is the hot sauce emergency, Michelle, that you would run into that you like would have to use? In other words, what you're ordering, what does the hot sauce go on for you, no matter what? So I was telling the guys earlier, Chris, that it is my snack of choice. I love popcorn with olive oil, molded sea salt, and a little bit of hot sauce on it. I mix the hot sauce up in that popcorn, and I have it as a snack. So I think I had some popcorn with me, and I brought the Tabasco along so I could mix it up during a commercial break and snack away. So it's, all right, pour, so do you have a bottle of olive oil in there, too? No, so this time I probably didn't get the olive oil, but I know I I usually pop the popcorn. Uh, maybe we'll drizzle, drizzle right. the olive oil and add the salt and then put it to go in a Ziploc to go. Wow. And then we will add the Tabasco you, when we're ready to go to eat it. Put that in a Ziploc, shake it up, and we are ready to roll. I'm telling you, don't knock it till you've tried it. It is an amazing snack. Okay. No, I'm not hating on that. I'll give that a shot. That's good to know. <laughs> That's good to know. It's. Have you ever been a person, either one of you, who would bring your own condiment to a restaurant? Um, my own condiment, probably not. Um, yeah. But I would. I would to work. You know, like I. Mm. I really like Heinz ketchup. Okay, Chris. Yes. And I'm sorry. Yes. Hunt. And whatever ketchup, you're all inferior. You make an inferior watery sauce. Wow. Like Heinz makes the premier ketchup. So I guess the one that I might do, and I do keep it at work, is if I'm going to do fries or I'm going to do something that I really want ketchup on, a burger, not only do I want some ketchup, I want the only ketchup, which is the Heinz 57 out of, by the way, I like it out of the glass bottle. It's not the same out of the plastic. Oh, wow. Look at you old school. Yeah. Look at yep. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to say, totally respect that. You're 100% true. And I have stopped ordering from particular restaurants because the ketchup that they send is non Heinz ketchup, and that's not going to work. Nope. Yeah. You're out. Out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Back to your beard comb and your face that you schlep around with you all the time. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. I feel like I have to apologize for that. Thanks, guys. (laughs) That's Chris Carlin with us. Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. I'm Aaron Goldhammer, Michelle Smallman. 
We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Up next, why are we talking about Apple TV and the Pac-12? We will explain. But first, Michelle has this word from our friends at Indeed. If you're having a hard time hiring in no time, you need Indeed, the number one source for hires in the U.S., according to Talent Nest. Sponsor a job and Indeed will help you attract, interview, and hire candidates fast. With Instant Match, you'll instantly receive a short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. You can easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all from one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit to get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. Get started at Indeed.com. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book direct at lq.com the university of colorado leaving the pac-12 for the big 12 the move will happen after next season we looked at it from a lot of lenses Um, first and foremost what we felt was best for our student athletes if you're oregon and washington what is the benefit of expanding when you expand you have to spice the monetary pie up more and of the remaining pac-12 schools who could go to the big 12 uh arizona would be the likely favorite to go next It's always all about what's best for the student-athletes. You know, there's been so much realignment in college football, I can't remember, like, even what school is in what conference. And now, sounds like it's possible, Michelle, one of the big conferences might be in danger of not existing altogether. It's Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App. I'm Aaron Goldhammer. She is Michelle Smallman. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Rod Gilmore is a Stanford legend. I think he played with uh, some guy named Elway or something, and he was in college. He's a... Uh, Pac-10 lover, and he joins us now on Canty and Carlin. Rod, knowing what you know and the way the dynamics of this are going, how much trouble do you think the Pac-12 is in? (laughs) Wow. Um, Pretty simply, um, big trouble, right? I mean, this began a year ago when USC and UCLA decided to leave. At that point in time, a lot of us said, we don't see how the Pac-12 is going to survive. And then there was all this calm. And then as the TV deals and negotiations heated up, 
the fallout has come. And look, um, everybody's talking about Arizona being the key and that if Arizona winds up in the Big 12, that's the end of the Pac-12. I, I don't think that's right. You know, from what I've heard over the last several weeks and, and been able to learn, I think the key is Oregon and Washington. If Oregon and Washington leave for, say, the Big Ten, as, you know, rumors out there seem to be, if Oregon and Washington head to the Big Ten, the Pac-12 is done. But if Oregon and Washington decide that it's not about the money and they'll stay in the Pac-12, be it as a Pac-8 or a Pac-10, and they will have a great shot at the 12-team playoff every year, great shot at March Madness, and they can somehow make up the difference in money and TV fees elsewhere, then the Pac-12 can survive, I think. But if Oregon and Washington are heading out the door, it's, it's over. You know, it's done. Rod, so much of this is driven by these, these TV deals, these monstrous TV deals that the conferences are seeing. What did you make of the pr- proposed Apple streaming deals that Pac-12 leaders put on the table? Do you think that's enough to entice these schools to want to stay in the uh, conference? Well, Michelle, before I answer that, can we just pause for a moment and just oh, reflect on the fact that the NCAA, their members have been complaining nonstop for the last several months and going to Congress about the problems with name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal and tampering and all that. This is pause and <laughs> reflect for a moment that we have presidents, athletic directors, and commissioners tampering to get schools from other conferences. We have them tampering for coaches, and they're looking at huge amounts of dollars. If you just think about the postseason of rights fees that the NCAA and its members will have starting in 2024, more than $3 billion a year. So can we quit blaming the players about making a little bit of money and having the freedoms of other folks when we're looking at all the revenue? College football, college basketball has never been more popular in terms of money and attention. That, that's, my, that's my soapbox, okay, for the moment, right? <laughs> of course. Um, but listen, when we talk about the, I don't know, I guess it's Apple or so, uh, the subscription deal that's that's out there. Months ago, everybody I talked to in and around the Pac-12 said, look, the TV deal has to be uh, linear TV, predominantly 50% or more, and the TV dollars have to be somewhere within, quote, spitting distance of the Big 12. And folks told me that meant, you know, if it's 5 million, 7 million, teams probably won't leave to go elsewhere. From what was reported about yesterday, we know that there's not a whole lot of linear TV in this deal, and it's a far cry from being five or seven million bucks a year short of what the Big 12 is getting. So this deal doesn't seem to be anywhere near close to satisfy the the members in the conference who have a chance or an option to go elsewhere, which is why we're hearing all the rumors today, you know, about the Big 10 talking to in considering Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal, and that the uh, the corner schools, you take out Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, are looking at uh, the Big 12. So, yeah, this I think the deal is clear. It's not enough to make people settle down and say, we'll fight for the Pac-12 to survive. And that's really an awful thing when you think about what that conference has meant to college athletics and college football in particular, the great rivalries, the history, Um, And it's been great for college football fans. I think it's important for them to have 
a West Coast uh, presence. I think that's better for every conference and every fan out there. Maybe it stays intact if enough teams go to the Big Ten. But right now, it's, um, I don't think it's a happy day. Yeah, Rod, the, uh, you know, the heart of the Big Ten, of course, Ann Arbor, Columbus, and, of course, Palo Alto, California. We know all the history <laughs> and tradition you know, of, of uh, the, the connection between those places. I, I, I wanted to just ask you more about that because, you know, as you're staring at this, what would your emotions be if the Pac-12 disintegrated completely? I'd be really sad about it, and I think a lot of people will be as well. You know, it was really hard for Pac-12 fans to stomach the the 14 playoff and losing the Rose Bowl every year between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. That that was a staple that, you know, West Coast fans really adored and lived by. And then they came to accept the notion that, well, you're not going to get that every year, but at least you still get a traditional Rose Bowl, you know, on a regular basis. So, So that was a big deal. And going forward, let's say that you have um, Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal move over to the Big Ten or some combination of that. You can forget about ever seeing a traditional Rose Bowl again because all those teams will be in the Big Ten, right? Mm. Um, it just it doesn't make, uh, make you feel good. You think about the great rivalries, the regional rivalries in the Pac-12. Um, you know, you lose the Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State, the Territorial Cup. Uh, with Arizona, Arizona State, and my personal favorite, you know, the the big game between Stanford and Cal with one of the longest, richest histories and rivalry games and one of the iconic um, trophies, the, the Axe. All those things will be lost. And, you know, um, it, it's, I don't think a lot of folks in the West will be very happy about it. But, you know, change happens, right? I guess everything evolves, but I, you know, tend to agree with you. I, I, one of my favorite things is going to bed, you know, at 10.30 p.m. with these. And I have so many questions. Like, are, are we really going to make student-athletes for basketball travel from Corvallis or whatever to, you know? Like, mm-hmm. how are you getting around the country and still, like, I don't know, does anybody care about going to class? Like, nah, this is just, nah, no, no, nah. No, <laughs> nobody, nobody cares about that. We're, you know, we're, we're making deals where we're telling our tennis and volleyball players to get on a plane and go to the Midwest and spend multiple days there. You know, for years we got comfortable with, with teams taking, you know, midterms during March Madness in hotel rooms and the like. We have far, far, far strayed away from the focus of academic integrity and the importance of it. It, it, we've moved far from that. And when people talk about college athletics becoming, you know, professional, uh, we crossed that line a long, long time ago. And now we're going to push it even further. Um, you know, that, that's, that's change, I guess. And when you decide that you need to have 80, 70, 90% of your budget based on TV revenue, you know, we, we follow the golden rule, right? Those right. who have the gold makes, make the rules. Mm-hmm. And so you get games on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get late night, you get early morning, you get everything because that's, that's what's driving it. So uh, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of us will sound like the, the old grumpy guy on his front lawn saying, get off my lawn, kids, you know, but you know, it's it's changed, and some of it's good, and some of it's bad. And I think you know, you, you raise the question. It, I think it's clear. Um, we don't put as much emphasis or care or concern about the health and safety of athletes anymore, or their academic careers. We just don't. 
Yeah, that that amount of travel to me is just pretty eye-opening and stunning. Rod, appreciate the time. Thank you so much for jumping on. Aaron, Michelle, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, let's, uh, let's keep our eyes peeled and see what happens and see how it turns out. Be well. Sounds, sounds good. Rod Gilmore, ESPN College Football Analyst with us. Up next, do you know which schools are in which conferences? We've got a game. You've got to play along. On Canty and Carlin, I'm Aaron Goldhammer, Michelle Smallman, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. I'm Aaron Goldhammer. She is Michelle Smallman. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can chime in with us, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. And put a little game together. Coming off of the conversation we just had with Rod Gilmore about not knowing what school is going to what conference and all the history and tradition of college sports being gone. So our producer, Eric, is going to jump on with us here. He's going to give us a school, Michelle, and it's our job to try to figure out what conference it is in. Eric, the floor is yours. Yeah, in the pre-show meeting, uh, we won't name the team right now, or the school, I should say, right now, but uh, you stumped us with one. So that's what inspired this little game, and I'll start off with Brigham Young University. So, Michelle, what conference is BYU in Hmm. now? I believe now they're in the Big 12, right? Weren't they one of the four schools that just got welcomed into the Big 12? That is correct. Uh, yes. Nice job. Okay. I, I was just gonna remember say, it from the headline. <laughs> I was going to say I thought they were still independent, but now, so now like Notre Dame and the service academies, I think maybe are the only independent ones. I, don't, I can't I, I figure out or begin to deduce this. Eric, give me one. All right. How about Liberty? What conference is Liberty in now? Liberty? Liberty. What state is Liberty in? <laughs> um, I think it's in one of the Carolinas. Uh, I'm going to say that Liberty is in the ACC. It's in Lynchburg, Virginia, just so you know. Lynch- okay. Lynchburg, Virginia. Yes. Michelle, what's your but, guess? But, what weren't, do you think? weren't they independent, too? Well, the answer is Conference USA right now. They are okay. in the yeah, there Conference you go. There USA. Uh, Were they independent, though, Liberty? Weren't they on that list? I believe they went from... Let me... <laughs> they were the school that they might had have that been a coach in the hospital bed. You remember he was coaching from the coach's box, but he had to be in a hospital bed. It was unbelievable. What do you got next, Eric? Give us I one more. That none of us even know where anybody <laughs> is. How about the Fighting Trent Dilfers, UAB Blazers? The UA, oh, UAB. UAB. They've got it. They've got to be in. Um, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go the Atlantic Ten. Michelle. You have a guess? I'm going to go American. I have no idea. Michelle is correct. Yes. They're in the Are American Athletic Conference. <laughs> Whoa. That was a total guess. That was a total guess. There you go. The the Blazers of UAB, I think. Uh, Eric, give us one more. We got time for one more. Go. How about the Cincinnati Bearcats? Oh, I know that. Oh, that that's the Big East, right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Michelle? It's the Big 12. They were It is the Big 12. They were, what? They were, no. they were part of the Cincinnati is in the Big 12? It was BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and I'm missing one. Uh, Houston. Wait, wait, wait. Houston. There's a school in Florida in the Big 12? Aaron. Central yes. Florida? No. Yes. And no, Houston the was Big the team. 12 is Colorado and Nebraska. The Big 12 is Nebraska's not... in the Big 10, buddy. But no, <laughs> not in my mind. UCF <laughs> is in the Big 12? Yes. This is shocking news. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.